You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. When I think about the gift that I probably got the most excited about when I was a kid, it was when I was either 10 or 11, and my grandmother got me a 10-speed mountain bike. And those were like the rage when I was 10 or 11. Now, I never took that on a mountain, right? And I didn't need all 10 of those gears, but that's what everybody wanted was a 10-speed mountain bike. And I had asked for a 10-speed mountain bike. I thought I was going to get a 10-speed mountain bike, but then my grandmother wrapped all of the gifts and put them under the tree a couple of weeks before Christmas, and my big gift, my big box that was under the tree was nowhere near big enough for a bike. I mean, even if you'd taken it all apart, it would not fit in there. So I was kind of disappointed, you know, like I thought I was getting that. And so Christmas morning came, and I was trying to do the thing where you're like, all right, I gotta, I'm going to be excited about this, whatever it is, um, even though it's not what I asked for. I'm going to be, I'm going to be like, yes, thank you so much. And I open it up, and it's a can of green beans. And all of my planning to, like, I'm going to pretend to like this went right out the window. My face, my family still laughs about this. My face, when I opened it up and it was a can of green beans, was just like, are you kidding me? (laughs) But down in the tissue, there was a note that told me that I would find my gift out in the shed. And I knew then, I am getting a bike. And I ran out there, and I was so excited. And that excitement came at the end of this roller coaster of emotions, confusion, disappointment. That's what we see happening for Mary. She gets this news that is confusing and scary, and she goes through these moments of of joy and excitement, but also fear. And we're going to kind of track along with her while she rides this roller coaster ride of emotion. So keep your Bible open because we're going to look back at Luke chapter 1 several times. In verses 29 and 30, Luke tells us And when she saw him, an angelic messenger has come to speak to Mary. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And Mary's first question is the obvious one. How is this going to work? I'm engaged to a man, but I don't know him yet in the biblical sense. We've not come together. How am I going to have a baby? Verse 35, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He gives a little bit of explanation. And then he tells her something that's very important. And I think that maybe we, we read that part, okay, that's the explanation of how Jesus is, is coming to be with us. Mary is going to carry him to term. But then the angel gives her some really helpful information next. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. What does the very next verse tell us? The angel has told her, listen, this is how this is going to happen. And your cousin, who is older, that is past the years of giving birth, that you read about earlier in Luke chapter 1, she has been blessed with a child. And so immediately following this, Luke tells us, And in those days Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, 
and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. What did Mary do immediately following this news? She went to someone who could understand what was happening. She went to Elizabeth, who had also been given a son with an angelic messenger coming to Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, telling him that your wife is going to have a baby. And Zachariah says, say what? No, that's not going to happen. Zachariah has this doubt. He ends up not being able to speak for the entire term of John the Baptist, Zachariah and Elizabeth's son. God is doing this incredible thing. And so Mary says, I want to go and be with them because they're a part of this story, and they know what it is that I'm going through. And I think what we see in Mary is something that we recognize in all of us. We long, we desire, we crave relationships with people who get us, who understand what it is that we're facing, we're going through. And when Mary finds out that she's going to have a baby, and she doesn't know a man, she's a virgin, and people are going to have questions, and there are going to be whispers, she immediately runs to be with Elizabeth, who is going to understand what is happening. The whole basis for this relationship here is their shared experience. They understand what the other is going through. By the way, that's the basis for every friendship. The basis for every friendship is shared experience. It's a, a shared interest, a shared goal, a shared past right? If, if you meet someone and you say, hey, are you interested in this team? Are you a fan of baseball? And they're not interested in baseball, but they say yes because they want to be your friend. That's not going to work, right? Because they're just desperate for friends. But if you have this thing that you're both interested, you have this shared experience, this thing that you're both heading towards, there can be this relationship born, Right? The most difficult thing to do is find a friend when all you want is just a friend. And you'll be whoever you need to be to have a friend. You're not going to find strong friendships that way. But when you have things that you're passionate about, things that you are giving yourself to, you can find other people that are passionate about it as well, and a friendship is born. Every one of us, if we have strong friendships, we've had that electric moment where we've looked at another person and said, that happened to you too? You know about that? You're interested in that? You've heard of that? And there's this shared interest, this shared experience. In these moments, Mary would need community and friendship. Mary's pregnancy would not be celebrated like it would be today. For Mary to become pregnant, and she's not married yet, there would have been shame, there would have been whispers, there would have been people talking, there would have been a lot of questions, and Mary's answer would have been what? It's God's baby. And everybody would have said, okay. And there would have been different kinds of whispers about Mary then. So Mary is going to need friendship and community, and so she runs to Elizabeth's house just after we have this. In those days, she makes haste to get to where Elizabeth is and spend time with her. And the passage later tells us that Mary stayed with her about three months, basically leaving just before Elizabeth's baby is born. And you can 
make some speculation about the timing of her departure. She left right before all the family was going to come in for the birth of that child. And those three months that those women had together must have been so encouraging for them both because they were both part of the story, both going through this together. And when we have strong relationships with people who are on the same journey as us, who are having the same experience, especially when there's that divine aspect of what God is doing, it's so powerful and encouraging. My family will be here for the Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve, 6 p.m., for our candlelight service. I'm really looking forward to that. And after that service is over, we will begin to make our way uh, down to Nashville, and from Nashville, we'll fly to Virginia on Christmas Day. And I'm looking forward to seeing my parents and my siblings and their kids, my nieces and nephews, and my grandmother on my dad's side, my grandfather and grandmother on my mom's side. But there's also another group of people that I'm, I'm looking forward to being with, and it's my group of ministry dudes. It's five other guys that I went to high school with that that's what we called each other throughout high school, the dudes. And all six of us are in ministry. And we'll all happen to be back in Virginia Beach at the same time visiting family for Christmas. And at some point, we'll go to Village Inn, which is this breakfast place there, either real early one morning or real late one evening when family get-togethers are done or haven't begun yet, and have a meal together or eat pie or both. (laughs) And we'll get together because those guys, I have been close with them all of these years, ever since high school, and they're in ministry like I'm in ministry, and we have this running, ongoing text message group thread that if if we go 24 hours without hearing from one another, it's abnormal. Why is there such a strong bond with those guys? Because they're experiencing similar things to what I'm experiencing. They're about my age. They're leading in ministry. And so they get what it is that I'm going through, what it is that I'm about. I get kids about my kids' age. You know what? I want that for each and every one of you. I don't want you to be friends with my buddies from high school, but I want you to have friendships that center around your journey with Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus and grow in a group and serve on a team because the relationships that are formed in that context will be so powerful, be transformational. For those of you that are relatively new to us, this has maybe been an awkward time because there have been multiple occasions this year where we have mentioned people that we love that we have lost. And we are, we are grieving. And you didn't have opportunity to know those people like we did. And I hate that for you. Yesterday, uh, Steve and I were working at the house across the street. And we were talking about uh, our losses this week. And Steve said, I'm just thankful I got to know him. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's how I feel. That's what I want for you. And, and, and there might be just a small speck of a sample that you get in that on Sunday mornings, but when we grow together in groups and in Bible studies and we have opportunity to share prayer requests with one another and pray together and go through these seasons of bearing those that we love and celebrating the seasons of those that we have raised up going out and graduating and getting married, those opportunities that we have, we spend together, it's so powerful. And I can't give you that on Sunday morning. 
I can't communicate that to you here in this context. I can't give you that from the pulpit. I can't give it to you in the foyer afterwards. I, I can't do that in this context. And so while it was helpful for Mary to know that Elizabeth was going through the same thing, it was important that she go to her and be with her. And for me to share stories with you, as I often do on Sunday mornings, for you to hear Nathan and Ashley's story this morning, that, that's, that's good, that's great, but when you get together, there's this powerful bond that is formed. And so Mary and Elizabeth get together and they have these three months together. Three months. This has been so powerful and important for them to have this time together. This takes time and attention, what I'm talking about. This is not something that you microwave. It, it's, it's not like a gas station burrito, all right? You can't just go pick it up and you got it. No, it, it, it has to... It's a crockpot thing. It's a marinating thing. It's, it takes time. They had time together. The best way for you to experience this is in Christ-centered community in a group. And what Pastor Eric and I desperately want is we want groups to proliferate so that there are multiple groups meeting at multiple times so that you have every opportunity. There is nothing that hinders you from growing in a group. So look at the powerful moment that happens right when Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house. Verse 41 says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Now remember, Elizabeth is an older woman carrying a child, and this child doesn't just kick, the child leaps when it hears Mary's voice. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. What has Elizabeth just done? Elizabeth has just given Mary confirmation. This is true, Mary. All of the things that the angel has told you, it's real. It's true. You know what happens when we have relationships with other believers? It goes just from being something that Pastor Daniel talks about on Sunday to something that we see lived out in other people. It gives confirmation. It puts it in street clothes. It gives us the opportunity to see it lived out. And that's what happens here. Mary's been given this, this message from an angel. But she really responds when Elizabeth confirms it for her. She has fear and anxiety and confusion and, and she's trying to find some, some comfort, some encouragement. Goes to Elizabeth and when she gets to Elizabeth, Elizabeth tells her, this is the Son of God in your womb. Because as soon as you walked in the door and said hello, my child, which is a gift from the Holy Ghost, leapt. He is already attempting to bear witness of the fact that your son is the Son of God. That would be John the Baptist's mission throughout his entire life, and he started it in utero. He started it before he was born. And when Elizabeth says this to Mary, Mary is overwhelmed. 
Verses 46 and 47 tell us, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. When Mary walks in the door, and the Holy Spirit testifies through Elizabeth that this is real, that this is truth, it it carries all of this weight. It was the sign that she needed. It was the encouragement she was desperate for. Can I tell you something that's a little bit of a pet peeve as a pastor? It's a little frustrating. I'll talk with some of you about something that you've been struggling with, you've been wrestling with, and you've got victory over it. And you say, yeah, I was talking to so-and-so, and they told me X, or they told me Y, and it just really made sense, and, and so I, I feel like I've got a handle on it. And I'll be like, I've been telling you that for months. <laughs> I have been saying that from the pulpit. Like, we've been preaching on that. We, were you here three weeks ago when I preached on that exact subject? I'm pretty sure they were quoting me. And God uses someone else to take that message and drive it home. And, and, and maybe I've, I've planted a seed, or maybe I've plowed the ground, or whatever. But God uses someone else. And that's what God does all of the time. So Mary gets a message from an angel. But when she walks in the door and Elizabeth speaks to her, man, that are over the top. You know what's wonderful about this whole chapter, all right? This whole chapter, which is preparing us for the birth of Jesus, really the only male figure that shows up in Luke chapter 1 is Zechariah, and he really botches everything because the angel says, you're going to have a son, and he's like, no, I'm not. And, and what happens here is between Elizabeth and Mary, there's this powerful, powerful praise that's given to the Lord. And throughout Scripture, there are male and female examples of God speaking to His people and encouraging one another. And here, Mary has received this message from an angel, but when she sits with her cousin, when she walks in the door to see her cousin, she receives the encouragement, the word that she needs. And Mary's great joy blooms when she's able to sit with her cousin who is going through the exact same thing that she is going through and gives her confirmation of what it is that she's facing. You know, there's a lot of talk in our culture today about finding happiness and contentment by getting all the negative people out of your life. Right? Just You need to get rid of all the negative voices in your life. And I can see wisdom in that. Scripture tells us in Proverbs that we should be careful the company that we keep. Paul tells us that bad company corrupts corrupts good morals. But we need to be careful that the litmus test on who we allow in our lives is is just if people who tell us what we want to hear. Elizabeth gives Mary this message that is good news, but it's good news because it's based in the truth and it's real. It's not flattery. It's got substance to it. Mary and Elizabeth aren't encouraged by one another because they're being nice to one another. Mary and Elizabeth are encouraged by one another because this is really happening, and God is really working, and God is bringing this about. And you don't just need people in your life who will be nice to you and pay you compliments and be positive. You need people in your life who speak truth. Who, who give you the word of God. Elizabeth is speaking at the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
She's not being nice. She's telling the truth. And the truth is great to hear. It's wonderful news. There's great joy in this passage, not just because two friends who have a similar experience are getting together, but because God is at work among them. That's what we need. You don't just need friends who are nice to you. That's great. But you need friends in your life that God's working among you, in the midst of you. Mary's joy blooms when she sees and she hears from Elizabeth, but it's founded upon what Christ is doing. And we really see that in what it is that Mary sings here in this song. So let's read verses 46 to 55. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him, from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arms. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats, exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And this is referred to as Mary's Magnificat. It is her song of praise and joy. And this is one of those moments where Mary just breaks into song. It's, it's one of those moments that happens in a musical, and you think, okay, it's a musical. That, that doesn't happen in real life. It happens here. She bursts into song, led by the Holy Spirit, and there's no portion here that is a direct quote of Scripture, meaning that it, she's quoting a psalm, but it is. there are so many allusions to Scripture. This is so saturated in Scripture. This is clearly things that have been talked about in the Psalms again and again in different ideas and with different images. Mary is seeing them. And they are either images that she's known and studied in synagogue school that she's been familiar with, or images that the Holy Spirit is giving to her in this moment. And she's singing. She has this musical moment. And isn't it interesting that when we're, when we're joyful, when we're happy, when we're content, that we just we kind of sing? And even, even if you can't sing, even if you're not a very good singer, if, if you're in a good mood, maybe you'll hum, right? Or you'll whistle, right? Or you'll sing along if there's something on the radio. Or, or, or maybe you'll just belt out a song in the shower. Because when there's this joy that comes bubbling up in us, it moves us to sing. And we see this in Paul and Silas, the, the messages that we had earlier on last month as we talked about joy and how Paul and Silas, even though they were in prison, this song just came out of them in the midst of this adversity. And here Mary is in this moment where she doesn't understand everything that's happening. She's received this, this heavy responsibility. This, there's this great weight upon her. But when she is given evidence that God is at work, she breaks into song. The reason that we sing at Christmas because joy has arrived. The King is here. God sent His Son. It's a song. And Mary begins it by saying, My soul does magnify the Lord. 
And that gives you an idea of, of the whole purpose of the entire song. Everything that follows from that verse on is her magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in her spirit because of what the Lord has done for her. She's saying, I'm expanding the view of God. I'm magnifying the glory of the Lord. Now, God's glory is great and large, and it doesn't need any help from us. You and I, we can't magnify in the sense that we make it bigger. But here's what we can do. We can help those around us have a greater perspective on the true glory of God. And that's what Mary's doing here. She is zooming in on the great glory of God. She is showing how great God is through this song. Mary is saying, I am lifting God up to where he should be. I am scaling the image of God we have to the image it ought to be, to full resolution. Though we have zoomed it out and we have set it aside and it is something that's on our peripheral and something that is on the side, something that, that we are distracted from, I'm going to put it front and center, full resolution for everyone to see. I'm going to put it at the image size that it ought to be. I'm going to magnify the Lord because he is that great and mighty. I'm going to put him before us. I mentioned to you before that my father retired from Delta Airlines, and for that reason, we would often fly, standby. If there are open seats, we could fly. And so our family of five, we could fly not because we had the money to buy airline tickets, but because there were empty seats on that plane we got to go. And I love sitting next to the window to look out and see everything from that perspective. And it always fascinated me that when you're in an airplane and you look down and you see cars, and they look like ants, that they look like they're going so slow. Like they're, they're ants and they're crawling. They're just going so slow. And the reason for that is because you're from your, that perspective. A mile looks like a few inches or maybe a foot. And whereas that car might be going 60 miles an hour and covering one mile every minute, from that perspective, it looks like that car is going to cover a few inches or a foot in a minute, and that is slow. So I would look down, and I would see cars on a highway, and I knew that they had to be going fast, but they looked like it was going so slow. And see, when God's work and God's personhood is so zoomed out in our perspective, it takes up such a small part of our display, our view, our look at the world, what we see God doing seems so small and so slow. But if we were to magnify and get up close, just as when you got up close to that car, it was bigger than an ant, and it was going much faster than an ant crawls. When we get up close, when we draw close to the Lord, when it is magnified to the full resolution before us, we see that God is doing great things and moving at the speed of light, doing more than we could have ever imagined. And in this moment when Mary greets Elizabeth and the Holy Spirit makes a baby leap in the other woman's womb, and that's the, the child that is going to bear witness to her son, that he is the Son of God, Mary begins to see this full picture, this big picture of all that it is that God is doing, and she says, let me magnify this to you, to 100%. Let's look at this. My soul does magnify the Lord, and I rejoice in 
And what Christmas does for us is it brings the presence of God right down to our level so that we can see him and see all that he's doing, see all that he has done for us and in the world. God occupies such a little space in our hearts and minds, in our culture, in our perspective. That when we magnify him, we're not making him bigger than he is. We're just finally looking at him at full resolution. And then Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in him. Why? Because he has regarded me, lowly me, and he has helped the broken, he has fed the hungry, he has made rich the poor. Mary is very clear on the fact that this is not something she deserves. But God has shown great mercy to her, and not just to her, but to the nations and to us. Mary's joy blooms when she's in Elizabeth's presence. Mary's joy is based upon the truth of what God is doing, the foundation that his son is coming to offer forgiveness to the world. And Mary's joy finds root in her humility. And if we'll celebrate this Christmas with humility and recognize that what God has done for us at Christmas is something that we do not deserve, this Christmas will be big for us. It'll be something that we realize we don't deserve, but yet we have received. Mary's great joy and her song is possible because she's seeing the truth with humility. And if we'll look at the truth with humility, we'll experience that same great joy. And our, all our days will be merry and bright. Would you bow with me and let's pray.